Does everything about your podcast work on mobile devices? I'm going to tell you about nine things you should do to make your podcast mobile friendly. Welcome to the Audacity to Podcast, episode 215. Thank you for joining me for the Audacity to Podcast. I'm Daniel J. Lewis, and this is the award-winning how-to podcast about podcasting. It's where I give you the guts and teach you the tools to launch or improve your own podcast for sharing your passions and finding success. One of the things about podcast consumption that continues to go up and up is that more people are using mobile devices to consume podcasts. And by mobile, really, I'm specifically talking about smartphones because iPods and portable MP3 players have been around for a while. They haven't been trackable as far as podcast consumption because you would download the podcast previously from a desktop computer and then synchronize that to the mobile podcast player of choice, whether that be an iPod or some other kind of MP3 player or video player. But now people have smartphones and Edison Research has turned up some amazing results that show basically that three quarters of America have a smartphone, some kind of smartphone. And iPhone is very popular and great for consuming podcasts. Android is also extremely popular, not so great for consuming podcasts, primarily because of how many podcast apps there are out there and that none of them come pre-installed and none of them really stand out above all of the others as being the place to go other than Stitcher. The Android platform is a bit hard to work with for consuming podcasts, but regardless of what app you use or you like or you recommend that people use, the thing you need to remember is that more people are wanting to consume podcasts on their mobile devices, and that's great because mobile devices make podcast consumption a lot easier. You have a smartphone with you, you take it with you almost wherever you go, you can plug it into your car, your headphones plug it into your home speakers, things like that, that make it easy for you to continue listening to the same content or watching the same content almost no matter where you are. Podcast apps on mobile devices make it easy to subscribe to podcasts and automatically download every episode of that podcast. And then of course, to watch or listen to that podcast from anywhere. So mobile is huge for podcasting and we need to make sure that our podcasts are being mobile friendly. And there are many different ways to do this. And I'm going to tell you about nine things that you should do to make your podcast mobile friendly. Number one, use a mobile theme or responsive website design. Having your site simply work on a mobile device isn't good enough. Your website needs to be optimized for those small touchscreen devices. And now there are many different sizes of screens old iPhones, new iPhones, Android devices, tablets, big tablets, little tablets. Some computers now are implementing touchscreen technologies. So your website needs to work on all of these different devices and be optimized for all of these. What I mean by optimized is that what is an easy link to click on with a mouse may not be very easy to tap on with a fat finger. And that's how many people will use their mobile devices is either using their index finger or maybe even using their thumb. So regardless of how big their finger is or their thumb is, then 
they're working with something that's much bigger and much less precise than a mouse cursor. So if you have a lot of links very close together, it's going to be very difficult for them to tap on specifically one link. The easiest way to make your website mobile friendly if you're working with WordPress is to use a WordPress plugin like WP Touch. This creates a completely differently designed version of your website for mobile devices. It detects that a mobile device is visiting your site and then displays a particular kind of view for that. You can get a premium version of WP Touch and plugins that are very similar to this that give you a bit more control over the branding, the colors, maybe some of the images and such. This is the easiest way to do it. Not the best, but it may be the easiest if you've currently got a website that is not based on responsive web design. But the better way to do this is to use a theme for your website that has responsive web design in it. Responsive web design is where the website responds with its layout to the size of the browser. This can happen on a desktop computer where you resize the browser. It could be full screen. It could be really narrow, very tall, very short, any different size there. And that lets you see how the layout changes. But this can also apply to mobile devices where it might be a big screen, a small screen. Someone might be viewing your website in landscape orientation or in portrait orientation. So they might see a very tall display or they might see a very wide display. This kind of thing is great and the direction that we should be going with our websites because then it doesn't matter what kind of device someone is using. They're getting an optimized experience based on how much of the page they can view at a single time. This kind of design responsive web design that is can then resize elements for people like making links or buttons bigger more easily tappable with a finger it can hide certain things that aren't important to show on mobile platforms and simplify it for mobile users or it can adjust the layouts like if you have a multiple column website which most of us with wordpress websites do have multiple columns we have the content column and then the sidebar that contains whatever you put in there a responsive website design will most likely move that sidebar to under the content so that way people can read the content very easily and not have to just read one word per line and do a lot of scrolling on their device, but they can read it comfortably and then all of that other information from your sidebar is below that. For WordPress themes that make your website responsive and mobile-friendly, right now I now recommend three different providers studio press they make the genesis framework and a bunch of other child themes where you purchase a theme or you can purchase everything that they offer and that then gives you a bunch of really well designed themes for wordpress and many of them are quite flexible as well i really like building on top of the genesis framework it's very clean structured well and extensible for me as a web developer and web designer you could also look at appendipity Appendipity builds on top of the Genesis framework. So you need to buy Genesis framework, which costs $60, and it comes with any theme that you buy from StudioPress. And then Appendipity is what's called a child theme. So you have to have Genesis framework on your site, not necessarily activated, but then you upload your Appendipity child theme, you activate it, it looks for Genesis, and it builds on top of the Genesis framework. The Appendipity themes are really nicely designed. And they are doing a great job over there 
of designing these themes for podcasters, video and audio podcasters, and they integrate really well now with the PowerPress player as well as with SoundCloud, even if you want to work with that, and now the simple podcast press player. So these are both basically studio press based options and they do work really well. Another option that I've been playing with and have been quite impressed with their themes and their plugins is elegant themes. They make some really elegant themes. (laughs) Who would have guessed? And they are often mobile friendly as well and responsive so that you get something that works great for your mobile users. I have links to all of these options in the show notes for this episode at theaudacitypodcast.com slash mobile friendly. Not only do these kinds of optimizations improve the experience for your mobile users, but now as of March 2015, Google also takes this into consideration for your search engine ranking. The way this works is that if someone searches on a mobile device, in Google, they might see different results from someone who searches on a desktop device. And that's because Google is starting to prioritize mobile-friendly websites. If your website isn't mobile-friendly or mobile-optimized, really, then it's not going to show up very high in those searches from mobile devices. And that makes total sense. Who wants to search Google for a resource They tap on it on their mobile device, and then they come to a website that does not work well on their mobile device. Google is becoming increasingly human. So this is actually something I'm going to go and update my SEO for podcasters course to talk more about making your website mobile friendly. And if you've purchased SEO for podcasters, you will get that extra content for free because you've already purchased it. Or you can go right now and purchase it at theaudacitypodcast.com slash SEO or I have the link to that in the show notes for this episode. So having your website mobile-friendly is a very important part of the overall experience of your podcast. That's number one, use a mobile theme or responsive web design. Number two, embed modern media players. Most mobile web browsers are usually appropriately handling direct download links to mp3 files and video files and such and what they'll often do is they won't actually download the file even if you set that file up or that link up to be a download through html5 through header information of where that file is hosted anything like that but most of the time the mobile web browser will play that media file in a new tab or a new window of that browser that's the direct download Yes, it works on mobile as long as you're using one of those highly supported media formats like MP3 for audio or MP4 encoded with H.264 for video. But this isn't an optimized experience for mobile users. Instead, I recommend that you use a modern media player that incorporates technologies like JavaScript, HTML5, and a list of fallback options for the greatest compatibility on all devices. What this will then do is put the player on your web page for that particular episode or on your main website's homepage, and then all people have to do is visit your website and click play. I'm a big proponent of that. It needs to be that simple for your audience. Visit website, no matter what device they have, and click play. And that's how they can consume your podcast. 
I recommend using PowerPress's built-in player, specifically the MediaElement.js player. This has a bunch of fallbacks. It looks pretty good. You can style it to look even better with some CSS custom coding on your site or your theme. And if you use Appendipity themes, it's already pre-programmed to really nicely style the PowerPress player. So that's another reason to consider the Appendipity themes. So PowerPress provides that great player that is mobile friendly and optimized for mobile devices. Also look at Simple Podcast Press that provides a really attractive player that can work then on almost any WordPress website. And it also does integrate really nicely with Appendipity themes, but it works really well on other themes too. And it provides some nice buttons that encourage people to subscribe to your podcast or follow you, share the content underneath the player. It's a great podcast player. And it now also supports the ability to use time codes so that if someone clicks on a time code on your webpage, it jumps the podcast player to that specific location. Another great player to use is Pat Flynn's Smart Podcast Player. And both Simple Podcast Press and Pat Flynn's Smart Podcast Player are premium WordPress plugins. And I have links to these in the show notes, and they are my affiliate links. And if you want to get Pat Flynn's Smart Podcast Player, then use my promo code NOODLE, and that will save you some money off the annual renewal fee. So it's a great way to check it out. And I really like what Pat has done with the Smart Podcast Player. It's really attractive. It works really well on mobile. And depending on which part of it that you're using on your site, that is, it can be a great way to get people into your content and make it easy for them to consume, especially on mobile devices. So these players then keep the podcast media on the page someone is currently browsing. So if they tap on play, they're not taken to a new tab or a new window to play that media file or a multimedia player app outside of their browser they can consume the content while they are still on that web page. That makes it really easy for them then to start scrolling down, look at your show notes, follow along with your show notes, and whatever. So this is number two, embed modern media players. And if you want the links to those different media players that I mentioned, look in the show notes for this episode number 215 at com slash mobile friendly. Number three, keep the files small. Mobile devices have certain restrictions and specifically three restrictions that I think you should remember when you're encoding your media files for your podcast, whether it be audio or video. And these restrictions often don't apply to desktop computers. Sometimes they do, especially in other countries outside of the U.S. But keep these things in mind, storage, bandwidth, and internet speed. For storage, most mobile devices have anywhere from 8 gigabytes of built-in storage to 128 gigabytes of built-in storage. And that will be always increasing over time, but it does also get pretty expensive to get those larger, high-capacity devices. If you're listening to this a lot after I've released this episode, then you're probably thinking, what? Something that has only 128 gigabytes of built-in storage? That's pathetic. Well, yeah, okay. But Most people will have something that's probably in the middle or at the bottom end of that. And that storage can fill up very quickly with the operating system itself, like Android or iOS, or with mobile apps, especially games. They can fill that space up with music, with photos. Many people are using their smartphones to take pictures and videos. So those photos and videos can fill up that device very quickly. 
and they might not have much space left for the podcasts that they want to consume. So that's why you need to consider the mobile storage when keeping your files small. Next, consider bandwidth. Most cellular service providers don't offer unlimited bandwidth anymore. I am still on Verizon's unlimited plan, but I don't know how long I'll be able to keep being grandfathered into that plan with upgrades and other things down the the line and in the future. But most people don't have unlimited bandwidth. They might be limited to a gig or two gigs per month, and it does cost more most of the time to get more bandwidth. Especially in countries outside of the U.S., the bandwidth costs could be even higher for them compared to the U.S. So it may not be possible for them to download your large episodes when they're not on Wi-Fi. Sometimes, even if they have the allowed bandwidth to be able to download large files, their device or software on their device actually won't let them download large files because the software or the hardware will impose some kind of limit like 25 megabytes or 50 megabytes. So if someone is mobile, they may not even be able to download the full file. They might be able to stream it and that is where it's downloading little bits at a time or bytes at a time. It's requesting a range of bytes. That's what byte range requests are all about. And that allows them to then watch it as it's downloading. But still, think about their storage. Think about how much bandwidth they have total to be able to do this. Then the third thing is internet speed. LTE connections are really nice and super fast in some areas. They are starting to become more crowded and slowing down a little bit. But LTE is also not accessible in all areas, especially outside of the United States. Mobile bandwidth speeds might be much lower. So you need to consider that a large file will take a long time for some people to download because of their connection speeds. So keep the files small. If you want to offer a really high definition version of a video, for example, you want to put it in HD, consider also offering a standard definition or sometimes called SD option as well. Yes, this means that you might end up splitting your ranking in iTunes where people will write reviews for your HD version, but not your SD version. And your search engine optimization there is a little bit split up. But this can also help you dominate the first page of iTunes search results. Because if someone searched for your podcast name or keywords that are relevant to you, you now have multiple opportunities to show up as a podcast than just that one quality opportunity. I would only recommend this if you want to release in high definition. If you're doing audio, then you only need the one feed. If you're doing video, then maybe if your content can be consumed as audio, that is not just that people can download it that way, but that they can understand what you're talking about, then I recommend that you have a video feed and an audio feed. You'll see many podcasters often do something where they have an HD video feed, an SD video feed, and then a basic audio feed for their content. Whenever you do that kind of thing, always consider your audience and make sure that they can understand what's going on and you're not alienating your audio only audience by saying, look at this thing, describe what it is that you want them to picture in your mind. Audio encoding is quite easy, and I'll give you some specifics here for audio encoding and video encoding and some things to consider for file sizes. 
this will be a lot of numbers for you. So definitely look at the show notes for episode 215 at theaudacitypodcast.com slash mobile friendly. For audio, nearly all spoken word content can work really well and sound great in this format. MP3, 64 kilobits per second, constant bitrate or CBR, 44.1 kilohertz, mono. This sounds better if you're using the Fraunhofer encoder, which is what comes with iTunes, as well as premium software like Adobe Audition. Free software like Audacity and even some premium software like Aphonic currently use Lame, which doesn't sound as good at these lower bit rates. That's one of the reasons why I so often recommend that you use iTunes to create your MP3s from a WAV file, because iTunes at this quality level will make a better sounding file. You could increase that quality, but the more you increase it, the bigger the file size gets. At 64 kilobits per second mono, and all of these other numbers I gave you, your MP3 will be about half a megabyte per minute of audio, or consider for a 10-minute podcast episode, it's going to be about 5 megabytes for that episode. That's not bad. That's nice, small, consumable, downloads fast, all of that stuff. If you're doing music reviews or you're doing an audio drama with your podcast, then I recommend that you still save as MP3, but instead of 64 kilobits per second mono, save it in 128 kilobits per second stereo. Still constant bitrate, still 44.1 kilohertz. But in stereo, people then can hear the environment. They can hear all of the dynamics of the music and the positioning of the instruments. And with audio dramas, you might do something where a character is coming in from the right side or there's a gunshot from the left side, something like that. And just hearing environmental audio, if you want to do one of those kind of experience it or sound scene tours or one of those kinds of things where you want people to feel like they're there, that's where stereo can really come in nicely. But most spoken word content is best in mono. If you do this stereo method where you're just doubling the number of bytes required, you're not really increasing the audio quality, just making separate audio for both sides of the head, left and right, then you're going to have audio that's about one megabyte per minute and about 10 megabytes for a 10 minute episode. And you can then extrapolate that out into your particular case. Video encoding isn't so easy because video presents a lot more dimensions than audio because it's based on your basic rate per second and also your frame rate and your resolution and a lot of other things. And you also have audio in your video and the audio can be encoded at different quality levels. Because of all of these different dimensions, one thing to consider is that your frame rate, that is your frames per second, abbreviated as FPS, doesn't change your file size because most video encoding is set on a per second basis. So if you have 10 frames per second at 1 megabyte per second, and you have 30 frames per second at 1 megabyte per second, the file size will be exactly the same. But the video quality will be very different. Because whatever that bitrate is, it's being split up by the number of frames per second. So 1 megabyte per second split up 24 ways gives you a nicer quality than 1 megabyte per second split up 30 different ways or 60 different ways for 60 frames per second video. This is one reason that I release my videos in 24 frames per second because then 
I can lower the audio quality a little bit below what a 30 frames per second video would be, but you don't notice the difference. And 24 FPS still looks really good and people are really used to that. And it's very manageable and all of that stuff. But video is also not cheap to host because video makes really big files. So here are some numbers for different resolutions of video that you can consider. Again, all of these numbers are in the show notes at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash mobile friendly. If after some discussion and your feedback, comments on this and further research, I discover that these numbers aren't the best to use, I will update the show notes. So definitely check the show notes before you make your decision on quality levels for your podcast. If you want to release your video in standard definition, well, for all of these formats, make it MP4. So your file would actually be .mp4 or maybe .m4v, but it's basically an MP4 file encoded with H.264. Your resolution for standard definition would be 640 by 360 pixels. At that frame size, 0.6 megabits per second, or basically 600 kilobytes per second, variable bit rate as the target is best, 24 frames per second, and at that quality level, it will look good, and the sound can then be either 64 kilobits per second mono or 128 kilobits per second stereo, depending on what you need, and probably 44.1 hertz, but you could also do 48 hertz. The higher you go on any of these settings, the bigger the files will be. If you apply these settings, and my recommendations being the lower of the numbers, like 24 frames per second, 64 kbps mono, and 44.1 kilohertz, then your files will end up being about 36 megabytes per minute. Or for a 10-minute podcast episode, 360 megabytes. You can see that's quickly getting very big. That could be bigger than your Libsyn or Blueberry hosting account. You can see why video podcasting can get really expensive because you need a lot of hosting for this. And that's just standard definition, 640 by 360. That's about the resolution of a DVD movie that you would watch. So it's still consumable, but if you have text that's really small, like you're doing screencasting, then that might not be a good enough resolution. If you want to step it up into high definition and look at 720p high definition, again, MP4 as H.264 format, your resolution will be 1280 by 720 pixels. Your encoding target VBR rate, variable bit rate, will be about 2.4 megabytes per second. Again, 24 or 30 frames per second. This time, though, for high definition, I recommend that you increase the audio quality to 256 kilobytes per second stereo in either 44.1 or 48 kilohertz. If you have the setting on your encoding and video production app to just choose 720p for Apple devices, pick that. And that will most likely set all of these things appropriately for you. But at this resolution, you'll be looking at your video being about 150 megabytes per minute. And if you want to do a 10-minute podcast, it could be 1.5 gigabytes. Now, the cool thing with variable bitrate that we would be doing with video is that if not much is changing in the video, for example, if you stay completely still, your background is completely still and all that's moving are your eyes and your mouth or the area around them, your mouth as you're speaking, then 
there won't be as much that it needs to encode because it can decide that this particular pixel doesn't really change much over time, so it can encode that at a lower quality and not lose really any visual quality to it. So when I tell you 150 megabytes per minute, you could have video that's completely different. If you have a lot of solid colors, like you're doing screencasting, and there's very little smooth motion to it, then your videos could be much smaller than this. I ran into this with my SEO for Podcasters course. Many of the sessions are an hour long, and some of the sessions were nine gigabytes. Some of them were one gigabyte. And at first, it I thought it was an encoding problem, that something wasn't set right. And I realized it was because of how much motion was in the video. That highly influences this when you're working with variable bitrate, which is good to do for video. So that's at 720p. For 1080p, is your brain exploding yet? I recommend, again, the same video format, but the resolution for 1080p will be 1920 by 1080 pixels. That's pretty big. And because of that, your encoding rate needs to go up to then at least 5 megabytes per second variable bitrate. Again, make the decision between 24 or 30 frames per second and 44.1 or 48 kilohertz audio. And the audio bitrate would be 256 kilobits per second stereo. At that size, you're looking at, again, keep those things in mind about how much motion there is and how complex the scene is and how much that needs to be encoded. But you'd be looking at probably an average of 300 megabytes per minute or three gigabytes for a 10 minute video. This is getting big and expensive. So keep these things in mind if you're thinking of doing video. That's one reason why short video is really good to do because you don't need as much space then. So all of this is to give you some idea of how you should encode your files to keep them small. The smaller you make your files, the less the quality will be And sometimes you'll need to sacrifice some of that quality in order for it to be easily consumable for people. You don't need it to look like a Blu-ray movie in 4K. You need it to be consumable. 1080p is fancy, sure. But does your video actually need to be in 1080p? Probably not. You could upload it to YouTube for high definition or Vimeo or something else like that where you're not paying for the bandwidth necessarily. And then your podcast version be standard definition, like 640 by 360. That's the way I'm doing it with my podcast, my video version, where I do separate video podcasting tips at the audacitypodcast.com slash YouTube or slash iTunes video. So I gave you all of these numbers. Look in the show notes, definitely for the most up-to-date information if I need to change this in the future. And that's the show notes for episode 215 at the audacitypodcast.com slash mobile friendly. Now, I'm not going to give you as many numbers in the future of this episode. So now that you've made it past that, here are more tips. Number four, include podcast app links on your site. When a mobile user visits your website, you need to make it as easy as possible for them to subscribe to your podcast, especially since they're already on a mobile device that can handle podcast subscriptions a lot more beautifully than a desktop computer or a web browser on a desktop computer can. For iOS devices like the iPhone, iPod Touch, and iPad, this is really easy because all you need to do is put in your iTunes link. It doesn't even have to be a specially formatted link to automatically launch directly to your podcast in iTunes. Just the plain 
iTunes link will automatically be detected. And if the person is using the podcast app on their phone, or especially if they have iOS 8 or later, which has the podcast app pre-installed and you can't remove it from the phone or iOS device, then the phone or device will automatically recognize the iTunes link and open it in the podcast app. Even a couple apps on Android will recognize iTunes links and open an iTunes link in that Android podcast app. But on the Android side, it is a much harder platform because there's no official podcast app, no official podcast directory. There are a lot of podcast apps out there, a lot of great ones, a lot of not so great ones. It's all over the place on the Android side. And you can go to podcastplaces.com to see a lot of different podcast apps on Android, how to get in those apps and such. But the best thing I recommend that you do for Android users is include the link to your podcast in Stitcher and a link to your podcast's RSS feed. Because depending on what kind of Android device and what Android podcast app they're using, it may recognize that RSS feed. And if they have Stitcher installed, it will recognize the Stitcher URL. This also helps your podcast to be more visible to the Microsoft Podcast app on Windows Phone, having your RSS feed linked from your website. You can also have a Bean Webmaster account and submit your RSS feed specifically into there. And you can also add a tag to your RSS feed. But if you do submit your feed through the Bean Webmaster tools, then you don't have to worry about having that tag in your RSS feed, or at least as far as I can tell from the information that Microsoft has released. PowerPress 6.0 and later now allow you to create some of these subscription buttons very easily on your site. They'll link to iTunes, they can link to uh, different Android podcast apps, and it can also link to your podcast RSS feed. And I also made a plugin for WordPress specifically for podcasters. It's called Social Subscribe and Follow Icons that allows you to create these icons on your WordPress website that link to these different podcast apps like iTunes or Stitcher, Instacast, Downcast, Dogcatcher, Miro, and a bunch of other apps out there that are currently supported and will be supported in the future. Basically, anything that allows you to have a direct link will eventually be supported with social subscribe and follow icons. In an upcoming update, there will be something even cooler that will work really awesomely on iOS devices and something that will allow you eventually, maybe later this year, maybe next year in the development cycle, but will eventually automatically detect what kind of device someone is using and display that device's preferred method above the other devices. So if someone is on an Android device, it might recommend the RSS feed instead of the iTunes link. Or if someone is on an iOS device, it's obviously going to recommend the iTunes link. That kind of thing that will automatically detect it and display it for your audience. That's coming up in a future version of social subscribe and follow icons. If you want to get on that, you might want to buy the plugin now. I have a link in the show notes for this episode, number 215. Because at some point, I am going to raise the price on that plugin. It might be version 2 that I raise the price, it might be a version before that, but get in while it's still a low price. And that's at subscribeandfollow.com, or I have the link in the show notes for this episode. That's number four, include podcast app links on your site. Number five, get a standalone app for your podcast. There's really nothing more mobile friendly for your podcast than having your own mobile app. 
This makes your podcast, for one thing, more findable and also more accessible because more people with smartphones know how to install and launch apps than those who know how to subscribe to podcasts. So having your own standalone app for your podcast makes it a lot easier for people to get your podcast by just installing an app. Currently, the two best places to get a standalone podcast app are, I think, Libsyn and Spreaker. I really like Libsyn's app offering the best because they can make an iOS, Android, and Windows phone app for your podcast. And it ties in very nicely with your Libsyn podcast hosting if you work with them. And if you do, use promo code NOODLE and that gives you your first month plus the rest of this month for absolutely free. And you can get your stats there. You can have your mobile app created for an additional expense. And there are many different options available to you for how you work that out. I recommend that if you make a mobile app for your podcast, that you let the app be free unless you're promoting the app as a way to get extra exclusive content. But look at the app as a marketing perspective. It's an extra way to advertise your podcast to show up in more search results. So I really recommend that you make your app free. Libsyn's offerings are great for that. Spreaker also offers custom apps that do end up costing a bit more than Libsyn's offering. And Spreaker doesn't offer a Windows phone app currently. They do let you make a custom Android or iOS app. And there too, the app ties in with your account on Spreaker and can tie in with your Spreaker stats. Again, I recommend you make the app free. So that's number five, get a standalone app for your podcast. Number six, speak memorable links. When a subscriber consumes your podcasts on mobile devices, they're usually not in a place where they can write down long URLs or even visit those long URLs right away. This is why I recommend that you make any link that you must give in your podcast a very easy to remember and easy to say URL. Instead of saying go to thisotherwebsite.com slash here slash there slash this slash that dot something else, make it simple. Give them your domain, which they probably have memorized by now. So then all they need to remember is the slash something else. Like I say for the show notes for this episode, visit the audacitypodcast.com slash mobile friendly. All you really need to remember, since you know the audacitypodcast.com, I say it all the time. All you need to remember is slash mobile friendly. And I also still offer the way that you can get to show notes by visiting the website slash 215 or whatever the episode number is. That still works and that will always continue to work. But I've started using words because the words are more memorable to you and often make more sense when I can make something very short like that for a specific episode. Not all episodes tend to work that easily, I've discovered, but most of them. I'm using real words to make it memorable. Do this also if you need to give a link in your podcast to something away from your website. I do recommend that you send people back to a single URL, like your show notes, where they go to that URL and that's where they get the links to everything else. Like I didn't tell you for smart podcast player to go to the audacity to podcast.com slash smart podcast player. And for simple podcast press, I didn't tell you go to the audacity to podcast.com slash simple podcast press. You know, I could have given you URLs for each of those, but instead I pointed you to one location, the show notes. 
and that's where you can get those URLs. If you have a link that you do really need to mention in your episode and you need people to visit that link directly, like maybe it's an affiliate or a sponsor or something special like the podcast awards currently going on, please continue to vote for us every day through March 24th. And after that, we'll have to wait until New Media Expo to find out who wins. But for that, I say theaudacitypodcast.com slash podcast awards. It's something special. Yes, the information is in the show notes, but it's really important for me to that you go directly to that URL. So that's why I give you that URL instead of telling you something long and it's someone else's domain. For making these really memorable URLs that you can speak in your podcast, get Pretty Link Pro. It's still my favorite WordPress plugin for this. Better Links Pro is also pretty good, but I find myself going back to Pretty Link Pro and liking Pretty Link Pro the best for this. Yes, I do have affiliate links for these. If you go to the show notes for this episode, number 215 at com slash mobile friendly. That's number six, speak memorable links. Number seven, include show notes in your RSS feed. This may seem obvious, but it may not seem obvious. But here's the thing. Most podcast apps are starting to display the show notes from your RSS feed along with the currently playing podcast episode. For example, the podcast app for iOS, right now, if you tap on the cover art while you're listening to a podcast, the cover art slides up and you see show notes along with the podcast while it's playing. You can often manually customize these or they can be automatically pulled from your blog post. The podcast app for iOS will let you manually add text for your URLs, phone numbers, and email addresses, and then the podcast app will automatically turn those into hyperlinks. So if you see a URL, then you tap on it, it takes you to that URL. You see a phone number, tap on it, it calls that number. You see an email address, tap on it, and it launches the email program. That's the way it works right now in the podcast app for iOS, and many other podcast apps are starting to support that as well. But you can also hyperlink text. So instead of giving the URL, you can just give actual relevant text to say something like Pretty Link Pro. And then when someone looks at the notes, they can just tap on Pretty Link Pro and it takes them to that URL instead of having to put in there HTTP colon slash slash the com slash Pretty Link Pro. If you use Libsyn to create your RSS feed, then this is already easy to do. You simply select the text that you want to hyperlink in the description field of when you're creating a post or an episode in Libsyn and you put in the hyperlink for that. That will then be interpreted correctly by the podcast app for iOS and other podcast apps that are starting to support this. PowerPress can already adapt your rich text formatted show notes and convert your hyperlinked text into text with a URL after it. That's an enhanced thing that they offer inside of PowerPress and that can be great. But as of version 6.0, it doesn't support hyperlinking the text itself. However, I'm happy to let you know that version 6.1 and later do support this. So at this time, 6.1 is not available yet, but it might be available by the time you're hearing this later on. 6.1 and later then do let you select your text and hyperlink it or maybe insert the HTML for the hyperlink into that and that will let you say something like click here or pretty link pro in your show notes that display in iTunes and people can tap on that 
instead of having to put in the full URL there. But however you do this, whether it be with the Libsyn feed, with PowerPress's enhanced version for the iTunes description, or with PowerPress's new version coming out where it lets you hyperlink these things, however you do this, this makes it easy for your audience to tap on those relevant links and feedback information directly from their podcast app, making your podcast more mobile friendly to them. Also, it's important that your show notes include your basic outline or the basic things that you're talking about so people can follow along a little bit. I don't let my full blog post go out into the show notes that appear in the podcast app because my show notes are too big to fit in there. Instead, I put in the basic outline. I put my intro paragraph, the basic outline, maybe a couple important calls to action or reminders, and then my contact information. That's the way I do it. And it works really well, I think, because then it's concise, but yet still helpful. And it does include a link back to the show notes where they can get all of the other links and everything else that I mentioned. This is number seven, include show notes in your RSS feed. Number eight, write front loaded titles. Because mobile devices have small screens and now they come in a variety of screen sizes, episode titles are usually truncated. You'll see the first couple or few words and then maybe a dot 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 or maybe it will automatically scroll or whatever it might do. The most important part of this is not to write short episode titles. Yes, you can write short ones, but it's also fine to have long episode titles because episode titles especially help your podcast search engine optimization. I cover that a lot more in the audacitypodcast.com slash SEO. But what's most important with podcast episode titles, regardless of their length, is that the most important information be first in that episode title. So as people are looking at this same truncated episode titles, or maybe they're scrolling, whatever the case, they're seeing the most important part first. The most important part is not the name of your overall podcast. It's the name of that episode. The most important part may not even be the episode number. It could be maybe it's your guest or maybe it's the topic that you discuss. So, for example, if you have me as a guest on your show, your episode title could be Daniel J. Lewis shares podcasting tips or it could be podcasting tips with Daniel J. Lewis. It's up to you to decide which one is the most important. I would say podcasting tips is more important than my name because people probably won't be looking through your list of episodes and see, oh, Daniel J. Lewis was on the podcast. Oh, I got to listen to that episode. No, I'm not a celebrity. So people will be more interested in the topic than the person. But if you do get to interview a celebrity, put their name first. Barack Obama talks about podcasting. That's a lot nicer because there you see a famous person listed first and then the topic afterward. So the fame of that person attracts people. In either case, this really helps with your search engine optimization because if someone types in these important keywords, then they'll more likely see those keywords in the search results because they'll see that they are in the front of your title instead of somewhere at the end where they don't see that part of the title. So this is number eight, write front-loaded titles. And then number nine, standardize your volume levels. Podcast consumption, especially with mobile devices, happens in a variety of environments, maybe quiet, maybe noisy, maybe distracting, and many other circumstances here. I did an episode all about the different environments that people will consume your podcast and different ways they consume it. I have a link to that in the show notes for this episode, number 215 at theaudacitytopodcast.com 
slash mobile friendly. One of the best ways that you can make your podcast audio more consumable, even if you're publishing in video, because audio is still more important than the video quality, is to reach standard volume levels. So if someone is listening to your episode one and then they go to episode two, they don't have to adjust your volume knob. And even looking at the bigger picture of this, what I'm becoming a big proponent of is standard loudness levels, where if you go from my podcast to listening to someone else's podcast, it's going to be the same volume level. You don't have to adjust the volume knob. And also while you're listening to the podcast, you don't have to adjust the volume knob for when the guest speaks or when the host speaks and you're going up and down, up and down. I think the podcast consumer should never have to touch their volume knob unless their environment requires them to because they are in an environment that suddenly gets louder or quieter. That's when they should adjust their volume, not because of what you are doing in the podcast. The way that we now measure this, that is a standard style of measuring this, is LUFS. That's L-U-F-S. This stands for Loudness Units Relative to Full Scale. The ideal target, and you don't have to understand everything about what that is, but it's all about measuring the perceived loudness. This isn't about peaks or just straight normalization of your audio. This is about how loud it sounds over time. And there are lots of things that go into this algorithm that measure it really well. But what you need to know is for your audio, the target loudness levels for stereo are minus 16 LUFs. If you're releasing mono, then your target loudness is minus 19 LUFs. The reason there's that variation and that may someday go away, I kind of doubt it, but it may someday go away. The reason for that variation, and it may someday go away, But for now, we have it because many media players will give a three decibel boost to mono audio, where it's the exact same thing playing through both sides. That's why we have a three decibel offset for mono versus stereo. Someday that may change, but for now, unfortunately, that's what we need to do. So if you made, for now, if you made mono audio negative 16 LUFs, and stereo audio, negative 16 lefts, the mono audio would actually sound three decibels louder. There are some players that play this as they should, where they don't do a volume boost for mono, like OS X's Quick View. If you just press spacebar while you're in the finder and looking at an MP3 file, pressing that does play this appropriately, where mono will sound the same volume as stereo. But most other apps, including iTunes and the podcast app, will play mono a little bit louder than stereo. So that's why you need that three decibel offset. I'll be making videos about how to reach standard volume levels soon. I'll either make one video that shows how to do this or several videos that show how to do it in several different apps and methods. But the two ways that I recommend right now that are the best for this is Aphonic. That's A-U-P-H-O-N-I-C. Aphonic.com is an online audio editor. But there's also a downloadable desktop leveler app that works really well. This does cost, but you can process audio for free through the website up to two hours per month currently. This helps you and has built in these loudness standard levels for mono, for stereo, for podcasts and such. So it helps you reach these loudness levels. Adobe Audition is the other tool that I recommend for this. If you use Adobe Audition's match volume tool, you can tell it to raise the volume or lower the volume to negative 16 LUFs or negative 19 LUFs, depending on whether you're working in mono or stereo. 
These two tools, I think, are the most accessible ways to reach these standard loudness levels. And yes, they do cost. There are some free tools right now, but I can't yet endorse a specific tool that I know is reliable enough. But I am working on that and we'll soon have some videos or a video that show you how to reach those loudness levels, regardless of what software you're using on your computer. So these are nine things you should do to make your podcast mobile friendly. I know I got into a lot of depth with each of these, but here they are again. Number one, use a mobile theme or responsive website design. Number two, embed modern media players. Number three, keep the files small. Number four, include podcast app links on your site. Number five, get a standalone app for your podcast. Number six, speak memorable links. Number seven, include show notes in your RSS feed. Number eight, write front-loaded titles. And number nine, standardize your volume levels. You can get all of these links that I mentioned in the show notes for this episode, number 215, at com slash mobile-friendly. I'd also really love to hear from you. What else do you think should be added to this list? What other tools do you know of that helps you make your podcast more mobile friendly? Or if you just want to get in there and rant about something that really bothers you about podcasts not being mobile friendly, that is welcome too. Just keep the language clean. Please go to theaudacitypodcast.com slash mobile friendly. I want to thank some people who wrote kind reviews for me in iTunes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash iTunes. Vegan Demo from Australia said, Daniel is the king of top 10 style content. And while this can seem annoying to some, the way he fleshes out his topic is great. While I still haven't started my own podcast, Daniel is still inspiring me to eventually start one. Thank you very much, Demo from Australia. I really appreciate that review. And from the United States, Bass Caster Brothers said, we love it. It has helped us make our podcast better and continues to in every podcast. And also from the United States, Lee Bruins said, I've just recently started listening from episode one and can't wait to get caught up. The tips and tricks Daniel covers in his podcast will be very helpful in starting my own. Thank you very much for your kind reviews and honest reviews. They really encourage me and they help other people find the podcast too. If you'd like to write a review, please go to the com slash iTunes. And especially if you have a podcast already, Put the name of your podcast and if you can fit it in, the URL to your podcast in your review. That way I can link to it in the show notes when I include these reviews for each episode. You can do that at theaudacitypodcast.com slash iTunes and get your own international podcast reviews emailed to you automatically from iTunes and Stitcher by going to mypodcastreviews.com. Please remember to continue voting in the podcast awards through March 24th. And let me know if I can help you in any way with your podcast. The contact information is all on the website, theaudacitypodcast.com. Now that I've given you some of the guts and taught you some of the tools, it's time for you to go launch or improve your own mobile-friendly podcast for sharing your passions and finding success. I'm Daniel J. Lewis from theaudacitypodcast.com. Thank you for listening. The Audacity to Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. The Audacity to Podcast is also a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Find more at techpodcasts.com.